Disclaimer. Content warning. This podcast contains strong language, strong social commentary, strong depictions of violence, and some views that might not be acceptable for those under the age of 18 or with soft listening habits. Listener discretion is strongly advised. This episode of Focus Fights Audio contains the expressed opinions of Jay Christian Gary and the guests that he might have on. Their words are theirs and theirs alone do not necessarily reflect the views of Focus Fights or any other entities mentioned herein for fear of lost opportunities in whole or in part in the present or in the future. Any questions, comments, or concerns about this podcast can be referred to Focus Fights via DM on Twitter at Focus underscore Fights, on Facebook or Instagram at Focus Fights, or via email at focusfights at gmail.com. The guests that Jay Christian Gary brings on to the Focus Fights audio podcast are trained professional fighters, wrestlers, and combatants, and although we cannot speak for them, we should advise you, the listener, not to try any of the whole six or moves seen in their professions at home, school, or anywhere without adult supervision for fear of potential injury and or death. With that in mind, thank you. We hope you enjoy this podcast. Hi there. I know you're supposed to be hearing music after the disclaimer, but considering the fact that we haven't done a show since October, we gotta warn some folks that have passed on since then, so bear with us, folks. First off, Jay Briscoe, multiple-time world tag team champ with his brother Mark, won every title that was available to him everywhere he went. Died in a car crash January 17th in his home state of Delaware and took the life of one other person. Paralyzed two of his three kids briefly. 2. Jerry Jarrett, Mid-South Wrestling Legend, father of the King of the Mountain, Jeff Jarrett, died, ironically enough, on Valentine's Day by way of a heart attack while undergoing treatment for esophageal cancer. And 3rd, my mentor, the reason why I'm on this podcast right now, Paul Ween, famed New York wrestling personality, died January 6th by way of a seizure via cardiac arrest and brain damage suffered over the holiday season. All three of these men leave behind lasting legacies that will never be forgotten. With that in mind, to pay respects to all three of these men, we honor them now with a memorial. Tim Bell salute. rest in eternal peace and never be forgotten in our hearts and in our minds and if you're someone who's prayerful and into positive vibes and all that texas wrestling legend and 80s professional wrestling legend black bart needs them right now too he's going through colon cancer right now so please think of him Hey, I 
Say welcome to Focus Fights Audio. I am the Chillmeister Chris Gary. You can follow me on Twitter at ChrisGary92 and on Instagram at ChristianGary1992. Secondly, Happy New Year! Despite being down near four months into the year, I gotta stop doing these in the middle of the year. But still, I can't say for certain how this year will go, podcast-wise, combat sports-wise, or whatever. But I hope that we at Focus Fights can stay active. As the year progresses. Still, we got a stat show for your listening pleasure. Rising and BKFC heavy-handed slugger John the Magician Dotson will be on to talk about his goal of becoming a potential simultaneous two-sport champion. While also claiming that a certain ex-child star from the 90s and 2000s is angling to eventually lace up some gloves down the line. Rising and Shooto veteran Mamoru Full Swing Ui is talking about his fighting future with help from deep veteran Zach Buscafe as I pick his brain as well. And we'll run down blood sport and talk about the world of comedy post Will Smith slap with the Danbury. But to kick off this podcast, I'll be speaking with Russell Ray World Champion, the Blood of Texas, Aaron Mercer, as all the way back in January he was prepping to face off against a star from Dragon Gate Pro Wrestling. We go to that interview right now. Ring the bell. And gentlemen, what's good, y'all? It's the Chillmeister Chris Gary for a very special Focus Fights audio interview. And unfortunately for me, I don't have to wait too much long to see this man. And actually, because this man will be competing 
at Russell Rave. Russell Rave, a promotion out in Houston, Texas, for their promotion, I mean, for their first show of the year, Winter Wham, for some odd reason. I guess they are big fans. I guess they're big fans of George Michael from back in the day. <laughs> but still, though, the event name is Winter Wham, W H A M. It'll take place at the Houston Premier Arena, 7122 Avenue B, Houston, Texas, on February the 18th. And I don't know if it's going to be streaming live on independentwrestling.tv, but it should be an incredible event to watch. But this man will be defending his Russell Rave Championship against Dragon Gate Pro Wrestling star Big R Shimizu. And who is that man, you might ask? Well, let me go ahead and give you a little quick intro. He stands at 6 feet 3 inches tall, weighing in at 220 pounds and hailing from the mean streets of Bandera, Texas. This is the blood of Texas wrestling and the throwback, introducing Aaron Mercer. How are you, sir? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing all right, sir. Not, I mean, not really too much going on, but still, I'm doing all right. That's good. Also, I, I don't remember the last time somebody called me the throwback. There's not much throwback about me anymore, so. Oh. I don't know. I don't know if we're still going with that one or not. I mean, come to think of it, how long have you been going by the other nickname, the Blood of Texas? Uh, probably for the last year, I would say. I see. <laughs> Well, my apologies for bringing up your old nickname. (laughs) (laughs) But still, though, as I was asking you earlier, you know, you don't know much about Big R Shimizu, but you do know much about Dragon... I mean, you do know a little bit about Dragon Gate and the, you know, at least a little bit of the history of that promotion. When it comes down to defeating Big R Shimizu... Considering the fact that he's currently on excursion, would you say that if you beat him, you might possibly get an invite to wrestle over there in Japan? I mean, that would be cool. I think, I don't know if I can reveal this, but I think there's going to be somebody else with him that has some some sway over there. Um, So if he sees that match, then it's possible. But um, I don't know. I, I figured... If I beat Shota Suzuki at the last show, uh, he's from DDT, I mean, I might get an invite, but nothing's happened, so uh, if I beat Shimizu, then I'm not expecting anything, but I mean, it would be cool. Hmm. I definitely wouldn't turn it down, obviously. I mean, it's understandable considering the fact that I've seen Shota Suzuki compete a lot in the Houston area for the reality of wrestling on their television program. And he's not only done well, but he's managed to get bookings all across the state. Like recently he wrestled in Laredo and did a frog splash in tribute to Eddie Guerrero, but he's also been getting bookings around the country when he's on excursion. Yeah, he's, he's great. He's, uh, he's been here a couple of times, but, um, I was talking to him uh, after our match, and uh, he said that this was like his longest time being over here. So I, I hope he comes back. I would love to wrestle him again. He's really good. 
I mean, come to think of it, I would just love to see him compete and actually get a chance to talk to him, be it with or without an interpreter. I mean... Yeah, his, his English is really good. Oh. oh, okay. Yeah. But still, though, going back to your upcoming match with Big R Shimizu for Russell Rave, how did you first hear about this promotion? And did you also realize that... Considering one of your previous stops is with New Texas Pro, did you also realize that they were competing in the same building as them? Are you talking about Russell Rave? Yeah, Russell Rave. Um, so the promoter um, used to go to heavy metal wrestling shows, mm-hmm. and that was like my home promotion. Um, so he had seen me multiple times or whatever. Uh, and I guess whenever he decided he was going to start his own promotion, he contacted me and, you know, gave me the whole rundown or whatever. And uh, as far as, like, them running in the same place as New Texas, I mean, there's, like, there's like eight or ten promotions that run out of that building. So, I mean, that's not, like, a, a thing where it's, like, oh, you can't work for them because they're, you know, running in the same building. It's just, that's, it's a... Building where multiple promotions run, and just you know, I happen to work for two of them. Hmm. I see. And in addition to New Texas Pro and Russell Rave, you also got the Texas Contender Series, you got OTOB, and more prominently, you got Loco Wrestling L O K O. Shout out to my homie Jaime Martinez. Yeah, I think there's also PWF. Um, I think GCW ran there with Loco once. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I think there's there's been a few others that have like popped up every now and then. It's, it's a lot. I see, I see. But come to think of it, when it comes down to all those promotions populating the Houston Premier Arena, wouldn't you kind of say... And I'm not trying to basically say this because obviously you're... In, I mean, I don't know if you live in Fort Worth or not. I know that you reside in, I mean, I know that you're originally from San Antonio, but still, though, when it comes down to Houston Premier Arena, wouldn't you say it's like the modern-day version of what the Sportatorium was or what the Sam Houston Coliseum was? (laughs) I mean, not on that scale, but as far as just, like, the availability of having uh, multiple promotions run out of it, I guess, but, uh, I don't know, I, I think it kind of, it kind of waters it down, I think, because it's just oversaturation, there's so many promotions running so frequently in the same building, and it's just like, uh, if you're a fan, like, you kind of have to pick and choose, you know, so I, I don't know if it's good or not. I mean, in a way, As long as the venue is getting noticed, as long as you got the same stars running for all these different promotions and they're getting noticed, you know, over time, that venue is going to probably have some stories to tell. Oh, yeah. I I, I, I can see that, but I don't know. I mean, it's it's good for uh, the wrestlers to have... uh, multiple places to work, I guess. Hmm, I see, I see. And when it comes down to, you know, the current 
atmosphere of the professional wrestling world. I mean, obviously, right now as I'm speaking, about a million or so people are watching Raw while trying to flip back and while especially down here in the state of Texas trying to flip back and forth between some national championship football game featuring a private school from Fort Worth. But still though, when it comes down to the current atmosphere of professional wrestling, do you think that the WWE is the be all end all to I mean is still the be all end all to the world of professional wrestling or do you think that with the indies being what they are now, you know, people are actually trying to gain credibility on the independent scene. Uh, I, I think it varies from person to person because obviously all of us growing up were fans of WWE because that was the one place to go. But I think over the years with, like, Guys like the Young Bucks and Colt Cabana and stuff like that, they prove that, you know, you can make it as an indie star. And then, obviously, you have places like New Japan and now AEW and even Impact and hopefully Ring of Honor again. Um, there's multiple places at work, and it's not it's not everybody's goal to, to be in WWE. So, I personally, I don't think it's the end-all, be-all. I mean, I can totally understand that, especially considering the fact that you said you started watching wrestling in 2004. For most of the people, you know, actually following wrestling, the only place to really get noticed in was in WWE, even though TNA and Ring of Honor only had a couple of years of existence at that point. And now you got... All these other places, especially down here in the state of Texas, you got, as you mentioned, heavy metal wrestling. Down here, for me, it's the reality of wrestling in the Houston area. But you got all these other places trying to get, you know, a slice of the pie, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's, I mean, if you're an indie wrestler, there's no shortage of places to, to wrestle, so... It just depends on, like, what your goals are for yourself, I guess. Hmm. And, I mean, come to think of it, speaking of goals, I know that you're currently the WrestleRave champion. I mean, like you said, we are no older in age. I mean, I think you're, like, what, 32, 33? 31. 31. Oh, my apologies. <laughs> Don't age me. Yeah, I mean, you got a little bit of an age advantage over me, considering I just turned 33 months ago, but still, though. But still, though, when it comes down to your future goals, do you eventually want to see yourself competing in a place like the WWE or Impact or even AEW? started um wwe was the goal but uh once you i guess get more into wrestling and you uh figure out what you want obviously your goals change so um that hasn't necessarily been my goal for the past i would say three or so years um I mean, 
mean, obviously, never say never. But as it stands right now, I'm not. I'm not trying to really get signed or anything. Um, I'm still in, in the in the process of just like figuring out what I want out of wrestling, and I'm just having fun with it. Uh, whatever cool opportunities may come, which several have, as you can tell by I get to you know wrestle a guy from DDT and I get to wrestle a guy from Dragon Gate and I just uh, two days ago wrestled PCO from Impact and I've wrestled AEW guys and former WWE guys so it's it's just for me right now I'm just having fun and um, getting to do neat things and I mean it is kind of amazing for you to say that because in a way you got trained by some amazing competitors in Rodney Mack, Shoichi Funaki, and Ricardo Rodriguez, even though I wouldn't really qualify him as a great competitor. <laughs> he's more like an announcer. But he's, he's a really good wrestler, though. Oh, yeah, of course. But still, when it comes down to all that those three that I just mentioned, plus Chris Marvel at the Hybrid School of Wrestling did for you, what would you say was the one thing that they basically told you about, I mean, that they would basically tell you about not taking the business for granted? Mm. Take your time. I mean, I'm sorry for the loaded question. Yeah, that's a, that's a big question right there. Um... I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like I kind of experienced it whenever uh, I got injured, and it's just that, like, this business doesn't owe you anything. Um, like, it can be taken away just like that. Like, you can step wrong and get hurt or whatever. It doesn't even have to be injury-related. It could be taken away, you know, at any minute. It could be COVID-related, you know. Every promotion in the country got shut down except for, you know, two so, uh, yeah, it's, it's, you, you can't take it for granted because you never know. Um, it could be your last match or, you know, uh, I don't know. It's, it's, it's mm. like a, it's an escape for a lot of people. It's, uh, it's saved a lot of people's lives. It's entertainment for some. It's like cathartic for others. Uh, so you just, you just can't take it for granted. I mean, come to think of it, considering... I mean, like, for example, I know this ain't professional wrestling related, but considering what happened last week, you know, in the NFL with Damar yep. Harris. Yep. I mean, with Damar Hamlin, actually. Yeah. Him collapsing on the field. That's probably, I mean, for anybody in any sport, especially in combat sports or professional wrestling, I mean, that would probably be a nice little wake-up call to realize you know, these sports are not really to be played around with. These are, you know, incredibly gifted and talented professionals looking to make a living. And, you know, it can happen. I mean, you can have it end at any moment. Yeah, I think I interviewed uh, Mike Evans a couple days after that, and they were like, does that change your perspective on, like, how – you're going to approach games or whatever. And he was like, no, if anything, that makes me want to go harder because uh, you never know when it's going to get taken away. And I, I fully like, su 
support that. Like, I've been doing that for the past two years. Like, since I got hurt, I came back. I've just, you know, completely put everything out there because, you know, she never know. Ah, uh, yeah, of course. But still, though, I look at stuff like, you know, the Damar Hamlin incident that happened last week. Or, in the case of other sports, Kevin Ware in the NCAA tournament collapsing with a bad leg. Or, you know, yeah. even in professional wrestling, some of the most gruesome things that happen. Like, I know you're probably not old enough to remember Psycho Sid breaking his damn leg trying to do a top rope move. <laughs> no, I, I saw it. And there was there was a dude on uh, AEW Dark recently. Uh-huh. Um wrestled uh, House of Black and had pretty much the same injury. I mean, was he like a enhancement talent or something? Uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was on uh, Dark Elevation, I think. Mm. So it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was House of Black versus, you know, three indie guys or whatever. And um, I forgot exactly what he did, but he came down and his leg just like snapped immediately. And so Buddy, just like being the pro that he is, just covered him right away. And, uh, yeah, it, it, it looked ugly, though. It looked pretty much the same as Sid's injury. Mm. But it is kind of, I mean, it's crazy to make you think that when it comes down to sports, especially one as grueling intensity-wise as professional wrestling, you know, you're pretty much on borrowed time, like Edge said. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, come to think of it, when it comes down to, you know, the safety precautions of professional wrestling, I think I've seen a tweet from Lufisto a little while back saying that she would want to stop people getting chopped in the chest and all that. I mean, I mean, would that probably be one of the main things you would want to do if you had the opportunity to change professional wrestling health-wise? Um, <laughs> take chops away? That's, like, one of my main things. Um, man, I don't know. Uh, like, I can definitely see um, where that would be beneficial because if you're sitting there repeatedly hitting somebody in the chest, it could cause heart problems, obviously. And I think there was an incident in Mexico, like, within the past couple of years that that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I don't know. I think it's, it's super rare. I, I think <laughs> dropping people on their head is probably a better idea because, like, you see how many neck injuries and just, like, spinal issues and uh, CTE and just head-related injuries, head-neck-related, and it goes down, you know, all the way through your bag like that, that would probably be the one. Just be safer with not dropping people on the head. I mean, you mentioned not dropping people on the head. That could also include, you know, not giving people unprotected chair shots. (laughs) That is very true. And the business changed there for a good while to remove that. I mean, come to think of it, not just unprotected chair shots, but unprotected shots to the head, like in boxing and MMA. Yeah. I mean, but with boxing and MMA, 
beast. That's what they sign up for, and they, they uh, any fighter will tell you they know the risk going in there. But I mean, they love it. That's, that's how they make their money. You know, they're living. Understood. Understood. And I normally save this question for later in interviews, but I'm basically going to go ahead and ask this now since you mentioned making money. But if you weren't a trained professional wrestler, if you didn't come up to Rodney Mack or Shoichi Funaki or Ricardo Rodriguez and say, hey, I want to be a wrestler, can you train me? What would have been your backup plan, your plan B in order to make a living, even though I know you're only 31, but what would have been your backup plan if professional wrestling wasn't in the cards for you? Um, so before I got into wrestling, I was playing semi-professional basketball, so I probably would have just went back to that because I had stopped right before I started wrestling because my son was born, so I stopped doing that. Um, so I, I would probably be trying to do that still and then eventually become a basketball coach. Um, but I mean, as far as now, those aren't really options anymore. So, uh, if wrestling, you know, doesn't pan out or whatever, I have a decent job right now, but a, a cool backup that I've always thought about would be like becoming a truck driver or something and just seeing the country. And just, you know, just chilling in my truck all day. Understood. It's kind of weird, but... Understood. I mean, I know somebody personally who's a truck driver, but still, though, when it comes down to you playing semi-pro basketball, were you basically playing in one of the minor, minor, minor leagues in the U.S., or were you trying to play ball overseas? Man, there's, like, some... uh, Associations, I guess you'd call it, overseas that I feel like in my prime I definitely could have played for. It's just a matter of, you know, um, but what I was playing for was the ABA, which everybody knows what the ABA is, but Mm -hmm. uh, but it's not the 1960s and 70s NBA, I mean, ABA, it was the stuff that was made 22 years ago. Yeah, no, nowadays it's, it's much more, uh, Man, I don't, I don't know. It's it's pretty much like the Indies of wrestling. <laughs> there's that. There's there's a lot of minor league basketball leagues um, where you get paid to play. Uh, so it's it's more on that level. But yeah, I, I definitely think if I would have stuck with it, I could have went overseas for sure. I mean, if anything, there is money to be made playing basketball overseas, and in some way, there is little money to be playing basketball over here in the States because it's kind of like playing minor league baseball. You're basically hoping for that call-up. Yeah, for sure. Uh, And I know a majority of the overseas leagues, I mean, it depends on where you're at, but um, they pay you okay, but they take care of, like, your your food and your room and board and travel and stuff like that, so you don't have to worry about all that. So, I mean, it's it's pretty decent uh, living, I guess you could say. I mean, kind of think of it, considering that you are 6'3 and you did play basketball, I mean, how would you basically compare your 
how would you basically compare your basketball skills then to your wrestling skills now? Um, I would say I'm a much better wrestler than I was a basketball player. <laughs> wrestling is wrestling is much easier, like in my <laughs> mind, than uh, basketball is just because there's you know there's one percent. Uh, make it to the NBA, not even 1%. Mm-hmm. And and those guys are like, the worst player in the league is, you know, closer to LeBron than I am to that person. But whenever you get in wrestling, it's like, there's so many good people that it's just a matter of like, what character uh, puts them over the top or like uh, what little things put them over the top. So there's, there could be, you know, guys that uh, get released from top promotions or whatever. And they're working the Indies and it's like, you see other indie guys wrestle them. You're like, they can hang. Like, why aren't those guys signed? You know? So I don't know me personally. I definitely think wrestling is a lot easier than basketball was. I mean, come to think of it, you're base. I mean, in basketball, especially in the NBA, you're trying to be one of those 450 players that are just trying to make a name for themselves. In professional wrestling, you're literally one of, if not hundreds, maybe thousands trying to bust their ass on the weekends, if not make it from town to town or from, in some cases, country to country. Yeah. But still, though, when it comes down to, you know, athletes trying to get into professional wrestling or even combat sports for at least this instance, I mean, you've seen guys like Greg Hardy trying to make it into MMA, which, to be honest, he's an asshole. I really can't trust that man. I really can't trust that man to look after my nieces, let alone be a good fighter. I mean, yeah, he's, you know, guilty of domestic violence, so. Mm-hmm. But still, though, when it comes down to... When it comes down to athletes from other sports trying to break into the world of professional wrestling, or even celebrities trying to break into combat sports, I mean, what are your thoughts about that? as somebody who had to bust their ass to be in a professional wrestling ring? I think it depends on the celebrity. Uh, because you, you see guys like like Logan Paul and Bad Bunny and... Uh, mm. I mean, guys like that, they, they actually put in the work. And they actually take it serious. And they're like huge stars that bring attention to wrestling so i mean it only benefits us because you know more eyes are getting on wrestling maybe they see uh a wwe show and they're like oh that's cool what else is there you know and maybe they discover more stuff and it just trickles down but um if if there's like a celebrity that comes in and is just like oh this is a payday then it's like i don't know it's 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 not as good for wrestling, I guess. Maybe. I don't know. But I, I think it's good whenever they take it serious because it, it helps everybody. 
I mean, come to think of it, would you also think that they would need to take the David Arquette approach or the Pat McAfee approach and actually have, you know, respect for the business? I mean, it would definitely help. Pat McAfee seems like he legitimately loves wrestling, though. I mean, he's got a ring in his backyard, so. (laughs) I mean, come to think of it, he even got, I mean, he, I know that he's doing college football right now, but if when he's done with you know, talking about X's and O's, he's definitely going to get back into WWE. I would think so. I mean, uh, I would, it would be safe to say that he would probably come back fairly soon after this national championship game. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean he, doesn't, he doesn't need to, but, I mean, he seems like he loves it, so, like, why wouldn't he? I mean, I wouldn't say that he's in, I wouldn't even say that he's in for the money. He's just in just to... You know, find something that he loves and stick with it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if anything, he can basically just say, okay, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and drop this down, Mike. I'm going to go right to Birmingham, Alabama and interrupt this show or something (laughs) like that. Who knows, maybe it'll happen. We still got uh, two hours left of Raw, so... Yeah, but he definitely can't make it to Birmingham on a five-hour yeah. flight. That yeah. show will be over by then. But still, though, point of the matter is, when it comes down to you defending your Russell Rave Championship, let's just say you beat Big R Shimizu, and obviously you got the entire world, not just Texas, but the world talking, who would you say... And I don't want to basically get too much flack for saying this because I know that a lot of wrestling, a lot of wrestlers' futures are pretty much unknown. But who would you say would be your dream opponent if you were to ever get the chance to face off against them? Uh, okay, so number one is Suzuki, Minoru Suzuki. <laughs> um, are you I... sure about that? Yeah, 100%. I mean, if if my track record over the past two years is any, you know, indication, I have a death wish. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I had, I had three death matches in one night a couple weeks ago, and then two wow. nights ago, I wrestled PCO, and he murdered me. Like, I have a death wish. So, Suzuki would be number one for sure, but that one's probably very unlikely. Um, if somehow I could get to AEW... Uh, on a full-time basis, Brian Danielson. Mm. Uh, okay. He's a huge inspiration. Uh, my favorite of all time is CM Punk. Obviously, there's stuff going on there, so I don't know if that would be possible. But as far as the most, I guess, possible one that could happen right now, I've said this uh, a couple times recently, would be Eddie Kingston because both of us have a huge love for Japanese wrestling, and I would love to just get in a fight with him. That would be be the most realistic one right now. That would be an epic battle to be had, but as long as it's on the indies, and as long as you're on his good side afterwards. 100%. Couldn't agree more. I mean, especially considering the fact that he already got enough shit to deal with you know, in AEW with people like Sammy Guevara, who's also a native Texan, 
But I'm yeah. pretty sure that, you know, those matches that you mentioned, you versus Eddie Kingston, you versus Brian Danielson, and you versus Minoru Suzuki, <laughs> those matches would be fun to watch, especially if they were to happen in a ring down here in Texas. But, I mean, obviously with the whole CM Punk thing, that's going to have to be... I mean, because I don't even think he does indies. He's been basically no, doing... That's, mm-hmm. that's, why, that's why I mentioned I would have to get to AEW full-time for either Brian or Punk, because I don't think Brian has done an indie either. But well, I know Eddie, Eddie um, Kingston does indies from time to time. So, Well, on the contrary, when it comes down to Brian Danielson, I think... I mean, at least I hope. I'm not trying to predict this. But I think that later this year, considering that AEW already debuted in his home region, the Pacific Northwest, he probably might pop up and do some independent dates. It's possible. You never know. And who knows, maybe whenever uh, they finally launch Ring of Honor full-time, maybe he'll do some stuff down there. That's where he came from initially. So, mm-hmm. but, uh, I mean, for him, if he were to do something like that for Ring of Honor, it would have to be on a pay-per-view and not no regular television program behind a weekly paywall. You never know. I mean, that guy seems like he loves professional wrestling more than just about anything. So, I don't know. You never know. Hmm. Understood. Understood. But when it comes down to this upcoming match... That you're going to have at Russell Wham. <laughs> I'm trying to say it slowly so I don't mess it up. But when it comes I, I, down... I think, you did, I think you did mess it up. You said Russell Wham. It's also... It's Russell Rave Winter Wham or something like that. <laughs> I don't know. I'm the champion and I don't even know. I mean, I hope I don't get any feedback from the people that own Russell Rave. And saying, hey, Chris, you fucked the name up. We need you to get it over and over again. <laughs> but still, though. Winter, winter wham is what it is. <laughs> yeah. But when it comes down to this event, February 18th, I mean, you obviously are the champion. People are going to come over to 7122 Avenue B in Houston, Texas. You know, ring bell time starts at 7, doors open probably at 6. I'm basically trying not to spiel this too much. But what would you say would probably be the main reason why people should come out and see this show outside of your match against Big R Shimizu? Um, well, I can't reveal too much at the moment because I think there's only two matches that have been announced. And one is mine, and the other one is uh, Dimitri Alexandrov, the current Deathmatch champion, versus Dr. Redacted, which, I mean, if you love Deathmatch wrestling, which, who doesn't? Because you see blood and guts and violence. Um, That one should be fun. Uh, As far as the other matches, I I don't want to spoil anything. Like I don't even know what some of them are, so... I mean, I, like those, I think those one of the alone. matches that just got announced was a match involving Nastico and his charge, Bo Amir. Oh, that's right. I love that dude. The face of fear, Bo Amir. He's tall and he can do super athletic things. Um, I think the first time I saw him live was against T-Ray. And 
he was doing some wild stuff. I can't even do half the stuff that he does. Um, and he's wrestling Sam Stackhouse, so that's going to be a lot of meat in a ring. So. <laughs> oh, that match will definitely be worth the price of admission. I just wish that Nashville's yeah. crazy ass wasn't a part of it. I mean, yeah, he's he he can we can do without him. Yeah, of course. But still, though, aside from those matches, what would you say the atmosphere is like whenever a Russell Rave show happens? Not just for this upcoming event, which is only a month plus out, but still. Uh, I think being that it's a, a fairly new company, I mean, uh, it's only been around for a year and a half now. I think it, the atmosphere and, I mean, just the overall amount of people that have showed their support has grown. Um, I think the first show had, you know, not very many people there. There was, like, maybe 20 people. Hmm. And uh, I think our last show had the most, if not uh, second or third most people. So it's, it's just continued to grow and grow. And uh, it's it's cool to, you know, be the guy to represent a company from, you know, beginning to now. Uh, the crowd is usually pretty, pretty into it. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it's, it just depends on who's there crowd-wise or even wrestler-wise. But, uh, I mean, it's, it's usually a pretty... Decent little atmosphere, I'm not going to lie. Understood, understood. I mean, even if the atmosphere is also very intimate, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a smaller building, so, I mean, you can't pack it with, you know, 500 people or anything like that, so. Uh, but the people that do go are usually very loud and vocal, and, uh, yeah, I, I like atmospheres like that. Understood, understood. Well, I basically can end, you know, the interview by saying this. When it comes down to those who actually will watch this match, and again, I don't even know if this event is going to be streamed anywhere or if it's even going to be shown. I mean, it probably will be shown on YouTube afterwards by somebody who knows. But yeah, I mean, I mean, it'll it'll be on IWTV, but it won't be live. It'll be like on demand. Ah, that sucks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but then again, but then again, the main question I want to ask, and you know, I'm gonna go ahead and end it off with this. Let's just say, if somebody was actually watching this match between you and Big R Shimizu, and they somehow get inspired by you and Big R Shimizu, you know, working, so to speak, what would be the main thing you would tell those, what would be the main thing you would tell somebody if they would want to actually get into wrestling just off of seeing you and Big R Shimizu compete? Um, man, uh, just have fun. That's, I mean, that's the easiest thing. Like, we're all fans of wrestling, and we loved it as a kid, and hopefully we still love it as adults because it's fun. Um, and every, not every time, but the majority of the time when I'm in a match that I love or uh, 
having a blast. And uh, that's that would be my biggest takeaway. Just once you get into it, just have fun because there's a lot of bullshit that goes into wrestling, and there's a lot of politics and all this, you know, stuff. Uh, but you just got to remember at the end of the day why you got into it. Huh. Understood. Understood. And with that being said, you know, the people, if they can get tickets for it, it's Russell Wham. Russell Rape presents Russell Wham. No, damn it. Damn it. Damn it. Wham. Come on, man. I'm trying not to get. I'm trying not to get yelled at by the people who run this damn show. I'm such an idiot. But still, though, let me go ahead and try and get this damn name right. It's, it's Russell Rave. W-R-E-S-T-L-E-R-A-V-E. Presents Winter Wham. W-I-N-T-E-R-W-H-A-M. It's going to be at the Houston Premier Arena. 7122 Avenue B, Houston, 77011, February 18th. You can see Aaron Mercer defend his Wrestle Rave Championship, which I guess after this one it could be put, put over as a world championship against Big Boss, Big R, Shimizu. Mr. Mercer, despite me fucking that entire lineup, you know, I thank you for being on my little podcast. And, you know, hopefully we'll get to see more of you compete in the future. Yeah, man, I hope so. <laughs> now, as was discussed, Mercer did, in fact, defend his Russell Rabe Championship at the Winter Wham event against Dragon Gate star Big R. Shimizu. I can't give out any spoilers, probably because there's no results there, but still, though, if you want to check out the full show, it is now officially available on independentwrestling.tv. Just don't forget to download it wherever you get your apps from on your smart devices. Oh, and check out the subscription package that they got. It's really worth the money. With that in mind, Mercer's next Russell Rave Championship defense will be on April 29th at the same place, Houston Premier Arena, 7122 Avenue B. If you know where Texas mattress makers and Living Designs Furniture are, the chances are that the venue that I'm talking about is very close by from Navigation Road and the original Mama Nymphus, that is. But yeah, enough about all that. Mercer will be defending his championship against someone that I've been a fan of for quite some time. And that person is none other than reality of wrestling star, the renaissance woman, Hyan Overa. And while some people bitch, moan, complain, and gripe about intergender wrestling these days, especially in an era where wrestling can get a little bit hardcore... Or a lot of bit hardcore, really. I can say this for certain that this match is going to be something you won't want to miss if you're there live at the Houston Premier Arena on April 29th. And it's like Booker T once said, You don't want to miss out! You don't want to get shut out! If you want tickets for that show, check the description. Do it! Do it now! Because I do it for you. <laughs> Next up... I got an interview with heavy-handed flyweight slugger and former mascot, which is really hard to believe, 
John the Magician Dotson that was done right around his BKFC fight. And I swear I got the opponent's name right on this one. It was actually around Dotson's fight against former interim BKFC title challenger Gerard Grant. Anyways, after this intro, here's my interview with the former mascot turned knockout artist from Albuquerque. Enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, what's good, y'all? It's the Chillmeister Chris Gary, and you are listening and probably watching a very special Focus Fights audio interview. And on the line right now, this man, as David Letterman once said, needs no introduction, but I'm going to give him one anyways. He stands in at 5 feet 3, but he has a 6 foot 2 wingspan. He weighs in at 125 pounds. He is originally from Albuquerque, New Mexico, with a style of kaijutsu and boxing, and holds an MMA record of 23 wins and 13 losses. 13 of those wins by way of finish, 11 knockouts, 2 submissions. He is also a one-fight BKFC veteran, and just recently, this former Ultimate Fighter winner, defeated Hideo Tokoro in a way that would probably make him want to do the stanky leg for the rest of his life. <laughs> Introducing the magician and former two-time UFC flyweight title challenger, this is John Dotson. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing amazing. Thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate the time it's taken so that I can go out there and, you know, shine the spotlight on for this next event that I got going on. Understood, understood. Now, I'm not going to basically ask, you know, how you got started in MMA because I'm pretty sure everybody that's watched the videos that Ryzen put out of you, not only on their YouTube channel, but on the Unext YouTube channel, that you started off with some very crazy beginnings in MMA. I mean, was it really true that you were working at Chuck E. Cheese while you were at the University of New Mexico? Yeah. I was in there studying hard way of being a computer science and computer engineer major. I wanted to make sure that I can pretty much get the schooling done because I wasn't taking any of the offers for any of the college for my athletics paralysis, like for football, wrestling, and track and field. I got scholarships for all three of those sports, and I just turned them down just so I could be, well, something engineering and more of a tech side. Hmm. I see. I mean, but still, though, when it comes down to the fact that, I mean, you started off, obviously, doing tricks as a mascot. I mean, do you ever think that, considering the fact that there are actual gymnasts 
you know, getting paid money. It's been basically said over the last 30 years that there have been gymnasts, you know, being paid to be mascots and do all this acrobatic stuff in furry costumes. Do you think that if you would have continued being a mascot, you would have probably gave some of those gymnasts a run for their money? Oh, of course. Because of the fact that I always like to go ahead and be, introduce myself into new areas and new heights. Like, I even tested myself within the parkour range and even tried myself on American Ninja War, which I attempted. want to go back to one of these days because they keep on telling me, you can keep on coming back someday, but uh, not this season. It's very frustrating because I want to... I want to be to reach the top of Mount Midoriyama. That's what I want to do. I want to be the best and be able to say, hey, uh, that million dollars is mine. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come to think of it, I wouldn't mind. I mean, it's, it shows like Ninja Warrior Sasuke, a.k.a. Ninja Warrior, American Ninja Warrior, that just basically give people that type of adrenaline rush that... You know, a lot of fight sports like MMA probably wouldn't give all that much. But, uh, no, because it still gives me the same type of adrenaline. I just want to be able to improve myself. That's the only thing I do in fighting, and that's what I'm be able to do on that, like, pretty much that American Ninja War or even the Japanese Ninja War, just the fact that, <clears throat> and fighting in Japan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, of course. And if you end up being on that show, even though, unfortunately, there won't be no U.S. outlet for them to see you other than YouTube, I mean, I'm pretty sure you'll get noticed. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I want to make sure I can have some fun and just play around and do whatever I can. Understood. Understood. But still, going back to this fight that you just had recently with Hideo Tokoro, it marked your first fight in Japan since 2004 when you beat Yasuhiro Urushitani, a former UFC fighter himself. Well, you lost to Yasuhiro Urushitani back in 2004, but going back to Japan 18 years later and, you know, knocking off a JMMA legend in Hideo Tokoro in a way that, as I said, make him want it to do some breakdancing, so to speak. What made that come... I mean, what came to mind of that particular opportunity? I better not make it like the first one. <laughs> I was like, I better not go out there and lose again. I need to go out there and make a clear statement that I'm a dangerous man and that I've evolved over the years. I wanted to showcase the ability and the speed and power that I still have. And I went out there and did it successfully, even though he kicked me in the balls in the first 10 seconds. I got flying dick kicks. <laughs> I was like, man, how can it be possible There's only an MMA that I can kick in the dick pretty much every fight? Do people not know how to aim for my face, but not my balls? Like, my balls are taking enough abuse these days. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come to think of it, you know, I mean, come to think of it, when it comes down to that, it's like, they always do that shit just to be intentional, you know? It's like... Yeah. 100% they're trying to slow me down, and I think that's the only way to slow me down. It's just me off anymore. It's like, they can be like the Hulk. <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't like me when I'm angry. <laughs> exactly, man. Then they get it, and then they catch some hands. <laughs> hmm. But come to think of it, I say that jokingly in a way that you made Hideo Tokoro feel like he was breakdancing. In a way, watching that fight between you and Tokoro, it almost made me feel like, you know, watching a prime Roy Jones Jr. beat up on somebody because you basically had 
Tokoro in the waning moments of that first round, staggering up against the ropes. Even though, of course, it only lasted a minute and 43 seconds. But still, though, it just made me feel like I was watching, like, Roy Jones Jr. at 125 pounds beating up on somebody. It's funny that you said that, because even leading up to the fight, I wanted to keep more of my footwork and movement, just like how Roy Jones does. How he particularly sits there and keeps those hands nice and low and triggering off that left hand. Like, everyone always suspects the fact that he kept on being sneaky and being underhanded by having his hands behind his back. He comes for short angles that allow him to punch the body and secure those knockout victories over the top. Hmm. I see. I see. And, I mean, come to think of it, considering the fact that you did say at the end of the fight, you know, when the mic was handed to you and the lights were on bright, so to speak, that you wanted to become the first rising flyweight champion. And that led me to, you know, ask, when it comes down to the fact that they might be holding a flyweight Grand Prix in rising within the next, I don't know, four to six months, I mean, would you basically want to put yourself through the grind of fighting, you know, in a Grand Prix? Yes, hell yes, absolutely. Because of the fact that uh, I'm looking to have that belt around my waist and over my shoulder, exactly. Whoever they put in front of me, they're going to catch the same type of heat and stamina that I'm coming across with for that next type of fight. It don't matter who it is. It could be even Horiguchi. If they put Horiguchi in the first round, that's going to be the most embarrassing thing because they're going to put the Japanese greatest champion and the most recognizable face from MMA for them. And I will just pick him apart from round one all the way up to, well, end of round one. <laughs> so I don't think we're going to get past that. I mean, come to think of it, you're not going to be wanting to drag him out to a decision because you've already lost 13 fights via decision. Absolutely. I'm trying to make sure I make a clear statement by finishing every single moment that I get. And if I have to go to decision, I'm making sure that I don't stop from bell to bell by punching them in the face repeatedly. And since it's going to be a rising, I will be gladly kicking them and stomping them out of the ring until, well, somebody pulls me off. <laughs> or the cops get I mean, come to think of it, you'd have a better chance. I mean, you'd have a worse chance at an international incident with that shit. <laughs> yeah, I know. They're going to be like, hey, uh, do you guys have any more movie stars or somebody that's a terrorist? On your side, that we can negotiate to bring John back to the U.S. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, come to think of it, that kind of reminds me, you say movie stars and all that. I'm seeing a lot of, you know, influencers, you know, social media stars, musicians, actors. They're all wanting to get into professional fighting now, especially with this series that The Zone is running called the MFX series. I don't know how the fuck to pronounce it, but still, though, when it comes down to celebrities wanting to get into combat sports... I mean, what would probably be the main thing you would want to tell them just to show, hey, this ain't what you want to play with. You know, you could get seriously hurt off of this. Man, they just need to go ahead and be focused. At the end of the day, they're growing out there participating in the combat sports, whether it be boxing, mixed martial arts, even jiu-jitsu. You have to take it serious and take in the training for that more 
100%. You have to dive into it. Like, they do their all their acting roles, or even for them, you know, like the musicians who are getting in the music career. You have to be all in it. If not, then you're just going to get, like, pretty much steamrolled and be made fun of for attempting to do something stupid like that. I mean, come to think of it, it would be understandable considering the fact that you got some folks like the Paul brothers, and I hate to basically mention them, they're actually taking this seriously. I mean, you got KSI and Deji, they're taking this seriously. You got folks that a lot of the general population don't even know about other than your kids. They're taking this seriously. Whereas the average Joe like myself only talks about it. See, like, that's the thing. Like, since they're going into that realm where they can sit there and put their time and viable efforts into being a professional athlete, they got to make that statement for it because they're not doing it for charity. They're not doing it for, like, shits and giggles. They're getting paid to go out there and do it. And a lot of these guys aren't understanding that, hey, once you become a professional, you have to sit there and put on the best face, the best foot forward, and be on your game ready. They're actually stepping up the game level for them advertising and making sure that they can go ahead and be that next generation of fighters. Like, shoot, the UFC is telling people right now that they are looking at these guys. Look at how Jake Paul is now going into the PFL for mixed martial arts. Mm-hmm. They're building that game plan and platform for like Sugar Stan O'Malley and having go on Twitch, start doing more things, and even with Patty. Patty the Baddie is just having his YouTube account going viral and just exploding left to right because how he's eating everything constantly and can't stop stuff in his face, but yet he still make 155. Yeah, that is kind of crazy because of the fact that he can weigh in, you know, out of the fight realm, he can weigh in at 205 or 210 all he wants, but he still yeah. has to trim 50 pounds to make 155. Because it shows the discipline of this man who sits that heavy to make that weight class. Everyone might judge him on how he might get up to be that big, but it shows the true determination and discipline for him to go down to 155, and he never missed weight yet. Yeah, and I mean, I I can unfortunately understand that because I weigh in at 170 now. I mean... Considering the fact that I'm 5'3 myself, I would probably be best suited at 125 pounds or at 135 pounds if I were to, you know, take up fighting. But, I mean, when it comes down to that, wouldn't it be like a hard enough process to make weight when your walking weight is well over the expected weight you're supposed to fight at? No, because generally I like I still haven't missed weight, but that's me knocking on wood and doing everything possible. Hmm. Like I used only used to weigh like one sixty eight, and I would cut down to one twenty five all the time. Even one time I messed up and I weighed in like the Tuesday of at one fifty three, and I still made weight at one twenty five. You just gotta remember to stay disciplined, stay humble, and make sure that you can go ahead and do the work necessary to make the weight cut. And the weight cut in itself is the hardest process of fighting. I mean, exactly, especially considering the fact, I mean, let's just say, if this fight was on short notice between you and Tokoro, how prepared do you think you would have been if you would have had to, say, I don't know, cut 30 pounds in the course of a week, missing Christmas and all that? I would have done it. Like, at the end of the day, uh, if I would have had to miss Christmas, cut that weight, make the short notice fight for it, I would have made sure... I would be exactly on weight because of the fact that I know my kids deserve a better life. And for me to do that, to 
show them what hard work and hard determination and being disciplined enough to do it. Hmm. Understood. Understood. You know I mean? It's fine, so um, they, they look all crazy sometimes, but at the end of the day, they might crazy, so they're my type of crazy people. <laughs> Understood. Understood. Now, when it comes down to your UFC career, I know that we could basically talk all damn day about it. You went 10-7 and 7 inside the octagon. I mean, that may be good enough to make the playoffs, but it's not good enough to keep a UFC record. <laughs> but, I mean, there's people out there who have a losing record. Jerry Stevens was one of those dudes who were like, pretty much on the under end of it, being the Cleveland Browns having that losing record and staying in the U.S. And when you actually look at, at the 125, I went 9-2. Oh. Flyweight, I went two times against the toughest competitor being Demetrius Johnson. So flyweight was where I should have stayed at. And if I would have decided to stay there once Demetrius Johnson left, and I didn't decide to leave the division when he left, I could have been having more of a longer run and get us in a UFC title around my waist. But since I opted out and decided to go fight at 135, that's when it started making a turn where I started batting 50-50. Over TJ Dillashaw, Zach Makovsky, Manvil the Anvil Gambirian, Pedro Munoz. But even in your losses, especially the two that you had against Demetrius Johnson or the loss against Piotr Jan, for instance, you were basically on these fighters tooth and nail throughout the entire thing. So even with a 1FC champion who fights their bandwidth, John Lineker. Me and him went five rounds toe to toe, and I thought I won because I landed 472 strikes and he only landed 192. I was like, man, like, how do you lose a fight when you outstrike somebody? I mean, come to think of it, maybe some really crazy judging. <laughs> we already know how that goes. We can't leave the, all in the judges' hands. That's why I'm only looking out to go ahead and finish the fight. That's why I know how TKO or knockout. Oh, uh, yeah, of course. But come to think of it, going back to the fact that, you know, when it came down to the UFC, I think it was at the time that you were still in the promotion and Demetrius Johnson got traded off to 1FC for Ben Askren. Look at how that trade went out. <laughs> there was also, like, a flyweight purge. Like, there was so many guys getting cut at 125 pounds, and I think the only people they brought back... I mean, the only person they probably might have bought back was Brandon Moreno, who's now yeah, buying for the he, title. He, mm -hmm. he actually won the fight title, got the title, lost the title, won the interim title, and then here we go again, and we sit there and see what he's going to do for the fourth fight. It's kind of weird because of the fact that since that flyweight division in the UFC is just being that title contender fight, it's just having those two pinnacle fighters fighting each other over and over again. Not see anybody else's 
glory day or the potential anybody else coming back. Mm-hmm. But considering the fact that you were a part of the, I mean, that there was the flyweight purge and you had to move up to bantamweight, I mean, let's look at this now. The UFC got rid of Francis Ngannou, their heavyweight champion, because in Dana's eyes, oh, he's too pussy-fied to fight. You know, oh, he doesn't want the money. When when it comes down to Francis Ngannou, all he wanted was a contract that could say he can box, he can do all this other stuff, but then again, he can also come back and defend the title whenever he need to. So when it comes down to... in when it comes down to incidents like that, the Nganu thing in particular, do you think that the UFC is gonna eventually stop becoming the be all end all? Well, if you look at it, there's, they make it a little scapegoats here and there, just for the people that they can go ahead and monopolize off. But look how they did that with one person in particular, Conor McGregor. He sat there and told him they will, the UFC will never stop a fighter from. Taking, uh, taking a chance to make more money than they're already making the UFC. Mm-hmm. And they're telling Francis Johnson that he's no, that he can't go out there and be branch out and do these other things. Then they're pretty much avoiding the situation of them trying to sit there and say, hey, you can't do that, and we're going to hold your hand and make sure you do this. It's like, I want him to fight Tyson Fury to choose because that would be a fun fight. Like, seeing pretty much the strongest puncher in MMA going against one of the most talented boxers in heavyweight right now. And I mean, kind of think of it, the only reason why they probably didn't want that to happen is because they didn't want another Floyd Mayweather, Conor McGregor situation. Yeah, but that one, I mean, you gotta understand, Floyd Mayweather is just Floyd Mayweather, like, that dude is unstoppable and everybody keeps on trying to, like, knock on him, but he's still improving his skills at the older age that he is. And showing that he still has the capabilities to be that fast. His eyes are always on point, and his punching powers are still there. He just puts them get to sleep on September twenty fifth. Mhm. And I mean, it is kind of hard to think about it because, yeah, you're gonna have the greatest fighter, you know, in the world wanting to fight you. If you end up getting that call, you're not gonna want to deny it. But then again. <laughs> But then again, it also sucks because, you know, you still got promotions like the UFC putting a hold on the fighters, and Dana always says, oh, you don't have to be here if you don't want to be here. He chose his way out. He literally didn't want to be there, so he opted out. He's like, yeah, I'll make money elsewhere. And now he has the power to go ahead and do so, so I hope his negotiations are going to be great, doing well. I thought that he might be potentially here. Of him, 
you know, they are going to want to make him the highest paid fighter not in the UFC because of it. So, that actually needs to be that moniker that he wants to do. That's what I'm doing. I'm literally trying to be the most dangerous striker at my division across the world and world spread. And if Francis Nagano can do the same thing, I'll have more power to him. I know he can make more money than me easily. He just want to pay the heavyweight, you know what I'm saying? It's indeed, indeed. But, I mean, come to think of it, let's just face facts here. You fought Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson. Obviously, Kyoji Horiguchi fought Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson. We already know what you probably would do against Kyoji Horiguchi. But let's just face facts. If you were to, in both of those fights against Demetrius Johnson, like the one against... Like Kyoji Horiguchi versus Demetrius Johnson in the one fight they had, it was close all the way up until the end. Only in those two fights you had with Johnson, you didn't tap out not once. You just lost to some bad judging. But when it comes down to those two fights, let's just say you would have been the flyweight champion in either one of those fights. Do you think that your stock would have probably, pun intended, risen up? I mean, come to think of it, regardless of the fact that he didn't win the flyweight title but got tapped out at the very end, I mean, Kyoji Horiguchi's stock has only rose up from the time he got cut to from the time he got cut from the UFC, which was around I think around twenty late twenty fifteen, early twenty sixteen. All the way up to now, where he's basically, as I call him, Gucci Two Belts. Yeah, he is. He's at the rise of rising, being the belt, uh, the bantamweight champion, and also went into Bellator being that champion. But we got to remember, if we're trying to make sure that we can talk about that dude, he lost to Sergio Pettis. Sergio Pettis hit him with a spinning back fist that sat him out and sent him into the next century. <laughs> and I also remember the person that I just got done destroying in forty seconds, Ryan Benoit. Or Benoit, however you want to pronounce his name. Mm-hmm. I put him to sleep in 40 seconds BKFC, and that man also knocked out Sergio Pettis in the second round in the UFC. So I mean, the people that he has come across and that I've come across, I've sat there and made sure I put more stats on the fact that I can continue on being the most devastating force that this man has ever seen. And I mean, come to think of it, you did fight Ryan Babyface. Benoit or Benoit. I mean, I do remember him from Legacy FC, so his name gets pronounced either way. But you did fight Ryan Benoit back at BKFC 28. I mean, let's just say if this was an MMA fight, how quick do you think the fight would have lasted? About 15 seconds. <laughs> Stupid question, I know. I know. <laughs> because the first time I knocked him down, I could have continuously hit him in the face and then he would have been to sleep. <laughs> I would have ran off immediately. Hell no, I had to wait another good old 30, 25 seconds more so I can go ahead and finish the rest of it. They had to give him a 10 count, a bunch of 8 counts. And I mean, come to think of it, it's crazy when you think about the fact that 
you're fighting in a sport. Well, you're fighting obviously in MMA. Let's be real. But you're fighting in bare knuckle. I mean, it used to be called bare knuckle boxing. Now it's bare knuckle fighting. I mean, the sport is pretty much a newish old sport, anyways. But when it comes down to the fact. <laughs> I mean, come to think of it, it's been around since the 1800s, but it's been outlawed all the way up until, like, 2018. But still, though, when it comes down to the fact that you are now in Baron Uncle Boxing, I mean, let's just say, do you think that Baron Uncle Boxing has what it takes to make it all over the world? Like, I can definitely see... Considering the fact that they have bare knuckle events now in Thailand and possibly in Dubai and all these other places, I could possibly see a bare knuckle boxing event okay. happen in Japan. Oh, absolutely! I can see one actually happen out there too. But right now, you already know that they have bare knuckle in Russia, the UK, Thailand, America, and also in South America. So those are coming out into places that everyone hasn't seen, even though it's not the BKFC, but there's a bunch of branches of bare knuckle boxing. And they have had that lift weight that's shot, that starts with bare knuckle, but you can allow to do Muay Thai with knees, uh, with headbutts, my bad, not just knees. Mm-hmm. I mean, kind so of you got a lot of, you got to have a lot of things that are going out there doing a bunch of fighting styles with bare knuckle. Even the traditional martial arts of Muay, uh, Muay Thai started out bare knuckle, and they continue to just train like that as well. And I mean, it is kind of crazy now that you think about it because left way does exist. I mean, I I can't forget the fact that I watched like a left way in Japan show like a few years back, and I was just mesmerized by all these fighters, you know, taking a beat down and ending up getting back up, and all the fights ending in draws and stuff. I know that's such a weird concept, right? Because if no one gets knocked out, it's always going to be a draw. Yeah. How, like, that means you have to go out there and actually be a dominant force and just crush the opponent, literally using those headbutts to crush their skull. Exactly, exactly. And I mean, still, that kind of basically harkens back to the question I asked about celebrity fighters. I mean... Obviously, there are certain celebrities that obviously... Blah, what am I trying to say? There are certain celebrities that probably would see this as like a stunt challenge or anything like that. Like a pros versus Joes type of situation. But, I mean, let's just say, if there were some celebrities that would actually be badass enough to fight in something like Leftway or Bare Knuckle Boxing... Who, from your perspective, do you think would probably be able to be as much of a badass in fighting as they would be on camera? <laughs> Definitely Tom Hardy. One of dudes already going out there winning jiu-jitsu tournaments. I can guarantee you he'll be able to step up in that MMA scene. Since he did that movie on Warrior, he's actually taking the full aspect of understanding how it is. Right, here's somebody that you probably won't even recognize the name. Jonathan Lipnicki. Fucking Stuart Little? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're laughing. But I've actually trained with the dude. He has actually he has a solid jiu-jitsu base because he's a, a purple belt now in jiu-jitsu. And he's actually solid in Muay Thai. Wow. You recognize the fact that, that that dude can actually really fight. 
Wow. He's been training in mixed martial, like mixed martial arts for a very long time. And the dude hasn't scratched the itch yet to go ahead and step into the octagon or even into the ring to go ahead and participate in these matches. But that dude literally is a legit fighter. If he actually got some time to go ahead and step away from the movie scenes and try to stop doing some of these movie, like these like autograph signings, if you gave him the time of the day, he would actually put some people to sleep and put some people on notice about his skills. Man. Uh, crazy, right? Yes, that is crazy, especially considering the fact that a lot of people, <laughs> yeah, a lot of people grew up, a lot of people grew up watching him and Jerry Maguire and Stuart Little and like Mike. I mean, but yeah. still, I mean, even a lot of people know him as like a baller, so to speak, playing basketball. But yeah. I did not think that he would ever think about taking up fighting. That's kind of weird to me. It's like. Al Bundy taking up jujitsu or something. Hey, you never know. You might want to still have those old, old joints start moving around. If we can get that dude out here and start training and stuff, he'd be a like, legitimate force to be reckoned with. He is a monster, and I want him to sit there and try to step step into the octagon one of these days or a cage and just sit there and follow people up. It would be surprising for a lot of people. I mean, come to think of it, considering the fact that you train at one of the best MMA gyms in the country, if not North America and the world, Jackson's MMA, I'm pretty sure Greg Jackson would teach Jonathan Nicky a thing or two. Man, I hope so, because the fact that he would be able to do some amazing things. Like, I want him to go out there and try it, you know, scratch that itch here and there. Because we've been talking about it back and forth. And I want that dude to actually... I mean, kind of think of it, I hope so, especially if it's in a way to show, at least for him, it would probably be really fucking crazy if Michael J. Fox was sitting in, at cage side or ringside and he were basically giving him a hug after his fight saying, hey, I did it. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Bad. Or even bow up being like, I want to be, I want to be like, like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck. I mean, come to think of it, speaking of Shad Moss, he's still trying to get into professional wrestling. I mean, ain't that a fucking bitch? Hey, man, if, if one of these days he still can be able to. Like, shoot, they have a bunch of shows everywhere this day and age, yet everyone is starting to recognize the athleticism of pro wrestling. Well, yeah, I mean, come to think of it, Lil Scrappy's had a few matches with this promotion out in Atlanta. But when it comes down to celebs, and I know you mentioned Jonathan Lipnicki, Stuart Little himself, getting into combat sports, do you think that some of them just look down on combat sports and say, oh, you know, this is easy. Anybody with half a brain can do it. Well, anybody can sit there and throw a punch, but just throw a punch correctly and be able to use your whole body to generate that force to it is a different story. Anybody can go ahead and shoot a basketball, but not everybody's in the NBA. Just like the same thing, anybody can hit a baseball or throw a baseball, but nobody's playing in pretty much Major League Baseball. So to say those things on those same aspects, I'm pretty much downplaying out any of the sports. I mean, that's understandable. And if there's pretty much a celebrity, if I can sit there and write a poem, I can definitely be a singer. <laughs> 
And I mean, come to think of it, some of these fighters do end up crossing over into the cornucopia of being a celebrity. But when it comes down to that, I mean, some of these fighters just fall flat and end up being on Dr. Drew like how Rico Rodriguez wants it once upon a time. But then you need to be able to just, you know, stay in the wings. Stay in the wings. Right here. Can't be bouncing back and forth. Just stay right there. I mean, yeah, because there's only so much you can do off of being a celebrity and being a fighter. I mean, you just have to know how to balance that shit out. But now, when it comes down to this, and I hate to basically veer, you know, so off topic, but because we're both African Americans, I mean, obviously, the whole thing that's been happening over the last three years is that black people are starting to become more and more socially involved. But as somebody from your perspective, who's a professional fighter, who has some semblance of celebrity to them, what would you probably say from your perspective would be the biggest thing from the social justice movement that would go towards the fight culture and vice versa? And everybody just needs to go ahead and stay focused on their own lives and being able to go ahead and pursue it. Everyone wants to go ahead and say all these things and things, just go ahead and push towards, hey, you hate this, hate that, what we all need to kind of know. If you understand how to make your life better and focus on you, that's the only thing that you can control. Control yourself and control your emotions and all the feelings of it because nobody can steer you to being a better version of yourself than you. The influences around you, they can sit there and try to push you into a negative or positive. Choose the ones that are going to make the best movements and make some life-changing events for your life. Not for anyone else's, but for yours. And if it inspires others to go ahead and do the same thing, then let that happen. I mean, that's understandable. Especially considering the fact that you know, there's a lot of people who basically, I mean, especially when it comes down to the social justice movement, there's a lot of people that basically want to act like badass and say, oh, I want to basically beat up every single non-white person. I mean, I want to basically treat every non-white person like shit and all that. But when they come across somebody who's black or Asian or Hispanic, they end up as... You know, the great Jim Ross once said, they end up running like a scolded dog. And that's what I mean. Like, everybody can sit there and have that negativity or anything towards them. But we just got to figure out what's going to make us be a better version of ourselves. Exactly. And I mean, come to think of it, maybe it would be just to start being more unified, so to speak. Not just, you know, certain cultures, but, you know, all cultures, really. I mean, shit, that's the last... If you think about it, Martin Luther King Day was just yesterday. I mean, Dr. King basically preached more towards inclusion more than exclusion. Absolutely. So I think that would probably be more of a way that a lot of these fighters these days, especially those that lean toward one side to spread them or the other, would probably need to be in order to be more you know, respectful of their fellow man, or now, in this case, their fellow woman or fellow person. Yeah, because they got to make sure that they can make ways for everybody. Now, doesn't matter if it's going to be the X generation or it's going to be, you don't know, their male female, transgenders, and anything else. Like, pretty much everybody needs to go ahead and just, like I said, focus on themselves so they can maintain the more happier person 
for themselves versus the aspects of things around them they cannot control. Exactly. I gotta get going because I gotta start teaching my other class. I gotta go. I forgot. Oh, my apologies, my apologies. I mean, I just want to basically say, how can people contact you on social media? Uh, if you guys want to follow me on anything, I'm on, you can go to, uh, dang it. If anyone want to follow me, I'm John Dawson MMA on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. You guys can follow John the Magician Dawson, and I'll talk to you later. Someone's <laughs> calling me right now, I'm running late. Understood, John. It's been fun talking with you. Hopefully we can talk more after your next fight, which is going to be at the BKFC Knucklemania event, right? Yep, Knucklemania February 17th. Hopefully see you guys all day. If you guys haven't done it, click the link. I'm on my bio on Instagram so that you guys can go ahead and pick up the referral code, sign up for BKFC, and then let your boy know that I'm coming in with it. Okay, well, in that case, I hope to see you kick some ass at Knuckle Mania. And, you know, if Ryzen comes calling for that Flyweight Grand Prix, I know you're going to be ready. Oh, absolutely. I'm ready to go ahead and knock out whoever they put in front of. Okay. Other than that, you got to go. Talk to you later. Let's go. I'll be Mike Russell while I'm doing this now, while it's surprising to me that Jonathan Lipnicki wants to fight, as was said by Dotson in the previous interview, he should not take this lightly. Yeah, I know he's played basketball outside of light, Mike. He does BJJ as a practitioner. He's got an athletic build to him as he is 32 years old. But as long as he sees mixed martial arts as a career booster and not a clout booster... I think that he can definitely make a lot of fans and promoters excited if he takes this serious, of course. As for Dotson, he wrecked Gerard Kid Gotti Grant in BKFC in damn near the same way and time frame that he pieced up Hideo Tokoro on New Year's Eve. He'll continue his quest to become a two-sport champion when he faces Zest, or ZST for short, champion Tatsuki Samoto at Ryzen 42, May 6th from the Ariake Arena in Tokyo, Japan. Keep an eye out on Ryzen's social media platforms to find out if it'll air internationally. Up next, my chat with Ryzen and Shudo veteran Mamoru Full Swing Oi, with help from deep veteran and member of Todd Atkins' Japan MMA beat, Zap Buscafe. Ladies and gentlemen, what is good, y'all? It's the Chillmeister Chris Gary for this very special Focus Fights audio and I guess Focus Fights video exclusive interview. And my guest, as the great David Letterman says, needs no introduction, but I'm going to give him one anyways. He is a rising veteran of six fights in rising competition. Currently 2-4 and four in the Ryzen ring or cage so far. He is 5 feet 5 inches, 134.7 pounds, 165 centimeters, 61.2 kilograms. 37 years old from Kobe, Hyoko, Japan, representing Gon's Gym. This is the master of the full swing, Mamoru Ui full swing. And interpreting for him... From Waijushu Keshukai Hearts, Zach Buscape. Genki Desuka, how are y'all doing? Genki thank you, thank you. Okay, okay, and when it comes down to 
your last fight, and I don't want to basically waste any time talking about this, but when it comes down to your most recent fight against Ji Yong Yang, you lost to him back on November 6th at Ryzen Landmark 4 via second round TKO. I mean, even though you're... Even though you did ride a two-fight win streak, which is now a three—I mean, a two-fight losing streak, which is now a three-fight losing streak—did you feel as though, when it came down to this fight, that you kind of felt disappointed that you didn't win? けたしょうがないんでだけどちょっとかわいそうしないで一回感じましたはいはい勝ってはいはいはいはいはいはいはいはいはいはいはいはいはいはいはいはいはいはいはいはいはいはいはいはいはいはいはいはいはいはいはい
今私フルタイムファイターじゃないでしょだからこういろいろこう整えてる、えー、その時間は必要だから今試合急いでないそうあるはい。I mean, even though you're only supposed to be the interpreter, but when it comes down to your fight career as well, I mean, you only had one professional MMA bout since November of 2020. I mean, let's say you. I mean, are you planning to continue your fight career? Yes, as for me,、uh, as it's been discussed if I could fight in May. I've been asking to prepare to be ready for May. So, I hope he's coming down.、Uh, so, me and Fruce Ring, we're training for that. So, he's my main partner in that training camp. So, as for now, I've been asking to be ready for that period. So, I'm training with Fruce Ring and see where it goes. But definitely going back this year since I had、uh, two kidney stones removed,、uh, broken hands,、yeah. and, and my knee also was damaged. Since now I'm fully recovered of my body, and I've been training from last,、uh, last year. So I'm ready whenever the, the call is done. I see, I see. And I mean, you've been talking you know, to me and others privately about that. I mean, I'm knowing that you got a lot on your plate, Zach, but. Still, though, I just hope that you can fight so eventually that, I mean, eventually we will be, I mean, a few of the people that I know would probably talk to you about being on a future either Deep Show or Rising Show in this case. I hope so too. So, my next fight will definitely be with Deep, and、um, we'll see how it goes from there. <laughs> Understood. Understood. And now. Back to Mamoru. When it comes down to the top fighters that are in your weight class, and I think I mean the featherweight, the, the bantamweight and featherweight divisions, who do you think would probably be a tougher test for you to face now, regardless of skill set or, you know, record, so to speak? So, in my ああ。You, you mean Ji Yon Yang, right? That's the, 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 that's the only name you can think about now. He really wants that very much happening. Motoyara Seishu, that's the. Also,、uh, 
his Twitter about another fighter that he wants to face Motoya again. Uh, I don't know. Zane, Like almost the top fighter he lost to, he wants to face them again. But he understands that now that he may not be rich. And I mean, I can completely understand about the Motoya fight because that was the first guy that Full Swing lost to, right? I can hear y'all. Can y'all hear me? Yeah. I mean, I apologize. This network connection just sucks. I don't know if it's on y'all end or my end. I mean, can y'all hear me? Oh, okay. But yeah, what I was basically saying was it's understandable for you, Full Swing, to want to face off against Motoya because that was the first guy you lost to in rising competition. But, I mean, would you want to fight him in, you know, a ring? Or would you want to fight him in a cage like you've had for about the last three fights? I mean, obviously, not just full swing, but you too, Buscapi? I mean, that would probably disqualify me from asking which do you like to fight with. That would probably disqualify me from asking y'all both which do y'all like to fight in, the ring or the cage, because especially in the last dozen years, it seemed like Japanese MMA has gotten more accustomed to fighting in cages. I mean, just today in Japan, last night in the United States, they just announced a big rising card that will take place in a cage at the end of April. I mean, when it comes down to, I mean, and this can also act, this can also be for both of you. Do any of y'all, do either of y'all aspire to fight more often in the cage as y'all's career, as y'all's respective careers progress? Okay, so. Um... I will answer first for myself because there's more to tell. So as deep, so when deep runs fight nights, so they have some fight night events that inside the ring. As for now, 
because the only MMA promotion, professional promotion that still use the ring and the cage. Uh -huh. So I've been offered also before uh, my injuries to fight in the ring, but this didn't bother me at all. Of course, I prefer the cage, and I see myself fighting more often in the cage, but if ring it is, then ring it is. Now, when it comes down to cornering teammates for Wajusu Kashu Kai Hearts, even though I know that you also fight out of Gon's gym as well, but when it comes down to cornering teammates, which of your teammates' fights do you think are the most, you know, dramatic to corner out of? Mentality and philosophy of his gym in Kobe. 
but there's no difference between his gym and Kobe and half. They will have both to be in his preparation because he's also a member of half, as is the, his, uh, a member of his gym and Kobe. Shooter, uh, many plays, but 
coloring in writing is insane. In, insane experience. I mean, is it most? Is it mostly, and I hate to interrupt even though it's kind of my thing, but is it mostly because of the atmosphere of Ryzen and just the pomp and circumstance of it? Oh, many factors comes in because me and Mo, we kind of very close. The atmosphere of the first Ryzen show was insane. Many factors come into place. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can totally understand that I mean, even though I'm basically nothing more but just a watcher of Ryzen and a few other JMMA promotions, but I can understand that Ryzen is duplicating the old Pride-style atmosphere, even though, you know, it's a long way from the old-school Pride FC days, but I can't imagine being there, like, in front of, like, 20,000 to 50,000 people just watching an event. That was insane. The holding the rising breath was more insane to <laughs> Man. And I mean, come to think of it, who's to say that it'll only be a matter of time before you end up cornering another fighter in rising again? Maybe the guy's sitting right across from you. Yes. So, I've been cornering in rising, I think, four or five times. So, I cornered uh, Jango Brendao. Uh, cornered um, Lady Tapa twice. Uh, I cornered uh, King Mo. I, cornered, I was in corner of uh, Bruno Caperosa also. Yes, all great memories and experience, and thanks to those fighters for letting me corner them. I mean, and is it because they can basically, you know, at least try to understand you and understand your techniques? Like, uh, we train together, and if the feeling goes well, I, I, they ask me if I can help them, and I must do whenever it's possible. But it's a matter of feeling on how we feel each other in training. Hmm. Understood. Makaimas. Now, going back to full swing, when it comes down to your career i mean who would you probably say your career could rival up to at this point because of the fact that you fought about 50 some odd times huh? uh, oh repeat the question yeah basically what i'm trying to ask full swing is considering the fact that you have fought about 50 times now, who would you say that your career, at least as far as JMMA to the overall fight spear goes around the world, who would you say that your career can level up to at this point? Next stage, the finisher, the diet, 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 the diet,
やりたいならいいけどか彼はそのもういい人だって分かってるから<笑>あの一緒に練習したいね彼に関しては。<笑> If the chance comes again,、yeah. he wants to, but he thinks that he is a nice guy and he wishes to train with him. So there's no animosity whatsoever. So he thinks he's a nice person and he wants to train with him and learn from him. But if the fight presents itself again, he will take it.
cool some B. I mean, a cool SOB, so to speak. But I mean, do you see MMA as like a weekend as like a weekend warrior activity, or do you just see that aside from training with people as a way to, you know, boost your confidence, so to speak? Uh, okay, so when it starts for me, uh, I joined the gym because I wanted to lose weight. I had uh, I could uh, step back a little bit 
but I want to um, accomplish uh, more in depth, of course, because up to now we are only three French that fought in deep. Mm. And the third one, actually, before that was uh, Diabate, Sir Diabate who fought in UFC, and uh, Professor X who fought in uh, UFC as well. Oh. And then the third one is me. There were no French people that fought in deep before me uh, in a uh, 10 years span. I mean, come to think of it, I I mean, and I didn't even know that you were French, Buscape. I thought that you were Brazilian, but still don't. I mean, when it comes down to French fighters fighting in Japan, outside of Jerome Labanner, there was just one giant French volleyball player that fought for Valley Tudo Japan like a decade ago. I can't quite remember what his... I mean, I can't quite remember what his name was, but I think he was like a 2012 Olympian, I think. I don't know. But still, though. Huh? Yes, I heard about that. And I went in Valley to Japan to watch, but I didn't know that there's a French guy who fought there. Right, right, right. Of course, of course. But, come to think of it, I hate to cut this short, even though we had so much fun just talking. But I just wanted to ask, you know, full swing a quick question, and yourself, Muscafe, a quick question. And the full swing I want to ask, when it comes down to your... I mean, when it comes down to whoever your future opponent might be, I mean, what do you want to say to any future opponents that might be watching this and thinking, hey, you're not a threat, you swing around a crazy baseball bat, your coach gets all up in your nerves. What's the main thing that you would want to tell your future opponents as to not belittle you? Um, can you hear me? So if he has the message for his uh, next opponent in the future? Um, yeah, basically that's what I wanted to ask. あの、一発だけ強くなぐらしてあげてください。一発で終わらせますから。そう、一発で。ね、ね、さしてあげるから。そしたらあまりお互い怪我なく帰れる。そう、ちょっと、ちょっと。And <笑><笑> Understood, understood. And I mean, oh, you wanted to say some more? You wanted to say something else? For his next opponent or any subject? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
he's asking you, uh, Jerry, about the question. Now. What do you think about that? Oh my God. Ay, ay, ay. I don't know I what to, to say about breaking down other than that's Mikuru Asakura's thing. But let's just say, you know, if there is, you know, a future, I mean, for either one of us, Buscape or myself, I mean, in a promotion like Breaking Down, I would hope that, you know, there would be a spot open up for one of us to, you know, train out at Waijusu Kashukai Hearts if the opportunity were to, you know, if the opportunity were to arise to fight in a promotion like Breaking Down, because, shit, I've been waiting to get out 30 years of pent-up frustration out on some, out on some sleaze bag that just talk on the damn keyboards <laughs> but still don't when it comes down to a promotion like breaking down that's what i would want to ask for you buscape let's just say if you were offered the opportunity to fight for breaking down what would probably be your main go-to your main catch of wanting to fight somebody of your skill level in breaking down yeah i mean i do not watch enough of the show to know i have some things there and there i will have to watch more on that and uh, yeah why not if there's this opponent and the, open, the, the thing is good for me <laughs> uh, <laughs> so i depends see on how it comes from but i really need to watch it more and understand more what it is because i keep hearing things there and there but i didn't focus on it TV, right? Yes. Right, right, right. Of course, of course. But, I mean, before I basically talk one of us into an ass whooping that neither of us can cash, <laughs> I mean, I just wanted to basically... Yeah. I mean, I just basically wanted to say... I got... I just wanted to basically say I got though for the interview and, you know, full swing if there's anything that you would like to plug, particularly your... SNS social media. I mean, feel free to do so. Now's the now's the time. The floor is yours. So, uh, 
あのフォローしてくれると嬉しいです成績あまり最近良くないでもエポートしようとしてますねでずっと変わらず応援してくれてありがとうございますもうちょっとだけ応援してくださいっていうのを言ってくださいともう一つはゲイリーさんに神戸の話してくれてありがとうって言ってあのすごくそれは私が大事にしてる分だからすごくなんかいいなんだろうモチベーションもらった。I mean, I'm probably the only air g o r speaker to basically say that about your gym. I mean, I'm probably the only English speaker to speak that about your gym, so to speak. <laughs> Basically, I want to ask you, you know, even though you've only fought once, and I basically hate to beat that to a dead horse pulp, but even though you only fought once, how can people get in touch with you? Even though I know that you and I follow the Japan MMA beat with Todd Atkins. Yes, so anytime you can send me a message at Buscape MMA, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter as well. And anytime、uh, you want to come to Japan, you want to train, let me know. We have the pleasure to have you in the gym.、Uh, I want to thank everybody who watched the interview and follow you as well. And thanks for giving us the opportunity to be in the show. And、uh, I will do my best、uh, to be back in the cage ASAP. My body is fine, I'm getting better. Training with full swing, my main partner. Understood, understood. I mean, I don't know how I would be able to get to Japan. I would need to get my money up, so to speak. But all I gotta say to both of you, and in the little Japanese that I do know, is Kon no Orimoimas. No, Kon o o r i n o i m a s Tanoshine de Kudasai. You know, good luck, best wishes, and have fun in the fights ahead, you guys. It's been fun talking with y'all. Anytime. 
anytime. Later. Despite losing on three consecutive rising landmark shows and losing eight of his last nine, Full Swing is waiting with bated breath for his next fight. Hopefully, his continued work at Waijusu Kashukai Hearts alongside Buscape, Kenji Osawa, Hirotaka, The Rich Nakata, and others will continue to get him noticed by rising matchmakers. And speaking of Buscape, he's cool people. I hope he'll hook me up with more fighters to chat with in the near distant future. One fighter he's got me hooked on in particular is current Shudo Featherweight Champion Kisuke Sasuke Sasu. Recently, that guy lit up his opponent with an elbow strike that made him feel like his fight conference was pointing due south. Dude's got a bright future ahead of him with finishes like that. And speaking of bright futures, I'd like to give a shout out to Anna Bananebo who's listening to this in Indonesia. I know I don't always speak for my... We are... Podcast partner, Andrew Benjamin. But if you ever want to put over a fight or just talk about some stuff, one of us will be here to welcome you with open arms. You can depend on it. And with WrestleMania week being a week away, I spoke with Bloodsport commentator Dan Barry, not only on the upcoming Bloodsport card that'll be taking place, but also about the world of comedy at large since the Shug Smith special. <laughs> hello, hello. Is this wrestler slash comedian? Hey, Is this wrestler slash comedian Dan Barry? Well, loosely, yes. <laughs> I mean, my apologies, by loosely, though. Well, loosely, meaning that I'm not good at either one. <laughs> I mean, you're good enough to get noticed in both, but still, though. <laughs> all good. How are we doing? I'm doing all right, Mr. Barry. I mean, I know you're probably still a little bit excited off of the fact that you're going to be commentating alongside Lenny Leonard at Blood oh. Sport 9. I'm so excited because I love Lenny, and uh, I literally, he was saying he was never going to do it again, and then I said to him, my goal was to do commentary with you, and luckily uh, Josh Barnett was able to uh, piece this together for us, so it's pretty exciting. Understood, understood, but I mean, come to think of it, and you know, I know that you got 30 minutes, I don't want to waste too much time, but... Still, though, come to think of it, when it comes down to being in something like Bloodsport, whether it be as a commentator or as a competitor, do you actually see some of this stuff as interesting and to the point where it doesn't make pro wrestling seem, I wouldn't say that word, but do you think it makes pro wrestling seem a lot more realer? No, um, I think it's a different presentation of something, right? So if you if you were to watch... Look, I'll look at it like this. It's just a simple way to put it. You have um, movies, you have black and white movies. Mm -hmm. Which ones are movies? They're both movies. Just one has a different style than the other. And the more you think about like forgetting this concept of presentation of, uh, we'll use the term reality over stage, at the end of the day, what it is is it mm -hmm. is a, unique, a, different, a different way to portray the art. So this highlights the sort of sport combative side of pro wrestling that maybe some uh, some don't focus on as much. Some focus on characters. Some focus on the ability to go off the ropes. The minute you can take away the ropes and say, no, this is wrestling in its purest art form, then I think that's the best presentation. that uh, It's a unique presentation that plus sport can bring out. Hmm. Understood. Understood. 
And I mean, especially considering the fact that, you know, GCW, Game Changer Wrestling, the people behind this, they're mostly known for ultra-violent, hardcore wrestling. I think there's a clip that just gotten out yesterday with California indie wrestler Sexy Eddie doing, like, some sort of uh, inverted 450 or 540. I'm not really sure. So he did a Sexy Eddie did a moonsault completely naked. Is that what we're talking about? <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yeah, so he's Canadian. He's a Canadian wrestler. I think he's based out of Montreal. I Don't quote me on that. I'm going to say he's based out of Quebec at least. And uh, he's been doing it for like 20-something years. <laughs> I like that people are like upset about it now, when in reality, he's been doing it forever. It's just one of his things he does with over, you know, with 18 and over crowds. If there's, if there's a will, there's a way. I mean, obviously, let's just say he's not going to be the type of one that wrestles a kid-friendly style. No, and that's, I mean, you're booking a guy named Sexy Eddie. And, I mean, he's been pretty open about how he does things. Uh, there's a famous clip of him puncturing an artery in a wrestling match and him trying to drink the blood as it was pouring out uh, in CCW. He is a, a legitimate crazy person. But, you know, whether or not you like his style or not, he's been doing that exact thing for a very long time. I just think that it's funny whenever someone discovers him. You know, there's a... The uh, a penis-based offense wrestler who is no longer a uh, member of the wrestling yeah. community now. The less said about him, the better. I know exactly who you're talking about. So, Sexy Eddie was the first person to do the hip toss with a wiener. He was, <laughs> he was the first person to do that. And against, against uh, uh, yeah, in Japan. Against, against Densuku um, Tieno. Yeah, yeah, so... Um, he was the first one to do it, and so this guy's kind of been leading that unique offense. He's wrestling a thong. He's just like a, that's who he is. It's sexy Eddie. I mean, kind of think of it, he kind of reminds me of this one guy who used to fight in the UFC and was in an Austin Powers movie, who I'm not going to mention because he's also a convicted felon, but he yeah. basically reminds me of that guy and how... At UFC 1, I think he... Well, actually, at one of the first UFC shows, he ended up getting his ass handed to him, I think, by Keith Hackney. Yeah, okay. Yeah, no, it's... He, he I mean, uh, to me, it's Eddie is a, a breed unto himself. I have to wrestle him uh, in April. April for uh, Interspecies Wrestling, I believe it's the 15th. Let me just go ahead and double-check my um. little calendar here. That's what I have to do. So Interspecies Wrestling, I have to wrestle him on, on, on April 15th in a ladder match. So I need to know. It's a good thing I saw that clip because now I know like what his offense is based around, and I can hopefully get him canceled during the entrance, so I can win <laughs> by disqualification. Uh, I'm pretty sure. I mean, how the hell can you even win a ladder match via disqualification? That's crazy to me. Somebody no shows. Look, somebody no shows that ladder match. That ladder. There's gonna be a bunch of us in the match, uh, so it's not just me and Eddie. You know, you have, like, Kennedy Copeland's in the match. You have a bunch of people in the match. Uh, you know, Ron Voyage is in the match. So, you know, we, we have a, a lot of people. But if I have one last person with a lot of experience in the match, I'll probably do pretty well. Understood. Understood. Now, considering the fact that we are obviously talking about the differences between wrestling like Sexy Eddie and wrestling like the competitors in Bloodsport, when it comes down to the modern stage of combat sports, you now got celebrities wanting to try their hands at competing alongside actual trained professionals, especially in boxing and I guess now with Logan Paul in professional wrestling. But 
What are your thoughts about that? Do you think that some of these so-called celebrities are barking up the wrong tree? Or do you think that they are trying their best, but their best just ain't enough? Well, I, I mean, it depends on who you're talking about, right? Like, so to me, I think uh, I'm somebody who believes that I'll put it this way. I'm a, I'm a professional wrestler. I've been a professional wrestler for 23 years. I also do stand-up comedy. I'm doing two different things because I've decided I have no reason not to. I want This is what I want to do in my life. So why can't a Logan Paul be like, I want to be a wrestler too? Why can't uh, a wrestler like The Rock be in a movie? Like, why can't you? Because people are like, well, no, you just stay in your lane. But why do you just stay in your lane? Who made the lane? <laughs> to me, it's to be, do what makes you happy. If at the end of the day, what makes you happy is like Logan Paul going, I want to try being a wrestler. Then let him try and be a wrestler. Like Ronda Rousey wanted to try and be a pro wrestler. She was a fan of pro wrestling. It's not like she was just some woman that's just like, I'll take a million bucks. She's a fan of pro wrestling. She used to go, she used to, go to PWG shows. This is somebody who's a Rowdy Piper mark, which is why she called herself Row Rowdy Ronda Rousey. Like, why can't she have an opportunity to do wrestle? Now, the, a lot of people kind of give him, you know, crap for it because it's like that's taking a spot away from somebody else. But in my opinion, no, it isn't because you weren't going to have Ronda Rousey's spot. You weren't going to have Logan Paul's spot. They made that spot specifically for them. So let them have it and let them bring eyes into pro wrestling. That's my opinion. I mean, come to think of it, the same thing that Ronda Rousey and Logan Paul have been doing for about the last five or six years. And in the case of Logan, the last two or three years especially going back to his boxing days, is no different than what Andy Kaufman did back in the days when he was getting pile-driven by Jerry the King Lawler. Future Hall of Famer, Andy Kaufman, by the way. Mm -hmm. recently announced. Um, yeah, no, to me it's you're bringing eyes to a product. You know what I mean? Like For the same reason wrestling companies book steel cage matches, it's an attraction. So these people are the attraction, and that's that's the truth, you know? A Ronda Rousey match is probably going to get more eyes on it than Dan Barry against Sexy Eddie and others in a ladder match. Like, why wouldn't you try and bring those eyes to a product? Hmm. If I, right now, if somebody was like, hey, we're going to call, you know, any famous actor and have you put a match on with it, would you, would you be willing to do it? I'm not going to say no. You do what you got to do to bring eyes to a product. It's, it's, the money's made by ticket sales and pay-per-view buys. The money's not made by match quality. So, Sorry, everyone in the world. That's how the economics of pro wrestling works. And I mean, come to think of it, you mentioned pay-per-view buys. I mean, I can't really show any disrespect towards GCW, but when it comes down to the collective, it's going to be a whole bunch of shows on pay-per-view over the course of three days. And just so happens to be the case that Bloodsport is on the same night as something like For the Culture or something like, I think, the Mark Hitchcock Super Show with WrestleCon, even yeah. though that's another thing entirely. But do you think that independent wrestling is starting to strive a little bit, a little bit higher because of shows like the, because of collective events like, pun intended, the collective? Well, I think you got to look at, like, your WrestleCon, right? Your WrestleCon was probably the first of those sort of events where they had these, everything from wrestling shows to the convention aspect of pro wrestling, right? I think that the, the big thing now is access to information. I think there's a lot of people who can kind of watch. You can stay home and you can miss these shows. Uh, or, you can, I mean, you can miss them in person. You can still watch them remotely. Um, so it's more that there's it's a lot easier to get access to these sort of shows. That's my opinion. My opinion is, is 
where these events are important for pro wrestling in that you're you're bringing eyes to the product, which is intended to generate revenue, which is intended to create, continue to make these shows. Um, but these WrestleMania, these WrestleMania weekend shows really are just sort of a um, get all wrestling fans in one place and give them a week of the activities to do. Uh, and that's the, the number one focus, I think. Hmm. Understood. And I mean, considering the fact that if you look down the card of Bloodsport 9, I think the main match that people are probably going to be interested in seeing, I mean, hell, they sold out the damn venue for this. Mike Bailey versus Kota Ibushi. But when you look at the rest of the card, and I don't even know if the full card is completely up as of yet because we still got like two weeks to go before this happens. But when it comes down to it, what match would you say, outside of Ibushi versus Bailey, is probably the match that many people are going to want to go out their way to see? So I'm a big fan of Josh Burnett. Uh, he's a good friend of mine. I'm going to pull up the whole card as we're sitting here talking about this. So I, every match that um, Josh Burnett is in, I look forward to because it's not the same wrestling that you would see in most setups. So to me, Josh Burnett being on the show, I'm going into the cards. I have the full card in front of me because I want to make sure that I'm not forgetting. I am a little bit of a head case when it comes to this stuff. Understood. So I know Tim Thatch is just Barnett Thatcher, is that the match that I'm thinking of off the top of my head? Um, yeah, it's Barnett Thatcher. So I've seen that match. I saw them have a match at um, Every Time I Diary, every, at Tid the Season, as it's called, in Buffalo, New York. So at Tid the Season, uh, TID the Season, they had a great match that was, I, I don't know how to describe it, but it's just pure wrestling, and that's the best part about it. So I that match I'm looking forward to. Um, I'm so we have uh, Jeff Cobb versus Bad Detito. Um, uh-huh. We have uh, Eric Hammer versus Calvin Tankman. Uh-huh. Well, one of the matches is definitely going to get changed. I just saw that. But, I mean, if you look at, like, a, I mean, I like Alex Coughlin. So Alex Coughlin is going to be a match I look forward to. Um, he's uh, against Yuya. And then you have um, Killer Kelly versus Marina Shafir. Killer uh-huh. Kelly's a beast. That's, she's a beast. So I, I'm, and Marina Shapiro is no joke. I mean, obviously, actual, you know, both fully trained practitioners. So I mean, obviously, I mean, obviously, Killer Kelly is a great catch wrestler out of Portugal, and Marina Shafir, one of the four horsewomen, is originally from Moldova. Yeah, it's a great card. Um, he got. You got somebody like John, so you have John Morrison as Johnny Bloodsport mm-hmm. against Royce Isaacs. So Johnny is a little bit of a, of, of a loose cannon, right? So <laughs> you watch him maneuver. The guy is literally one of the most unique, can control his body in ways that most people can't control their body. So how is that going to translate in the art of Bloodsport where the ropes are out of your play? And to me, that's a, to me, that's a clash of styles that I'm interested in seeing. I mean, in a way... Considering the fact that, and I'm a, I'm sorry if I'm using his actual name, but considering the fact that John Hennigan knows a whole bunch of different styles, namely parkour, I think he's going to probably have to try and either pull some map wrestling out of his ass or, you know, try and do some capoeira. But here's the question. Does he not know how to do that? Right? So, like, is he pulling it out of his ass or is he trained in the, in the art? It's a, you know, if you want someone like, uh, I'll just pull myself in. I'm not, I'm obviously not in the same level as any of these guys, but I'm going to go ahead and pull myself in, right? So, 
Um, I'm kind of a more of a silly guy. I'm more of a fun-loving guy. I'm more of a stunts kind of guy. Mm-hmm. I haven't trained in mat wrestling. I can go in there and competently have a competently have a match where I can wrestle only on the mat. I know I can. So why can't Johnny Bloodsport? Why can't John Hennigan? Why can't he? So to me, sure, it's going to be a little bit different than what you're used to seeing out of him. But that doesn't mean it's impossible for him to do it. I think he'll commit and have himself a solid match as a result. I mean, come to think of it, I can also agree with you that John is a loose cannon a bit because, I mean, it's like he's been doing this since the early 2000s, like Toughen Up 2, I think. Mm-hmm. He's basically named himself, whenever he goes to a promotion just to pretty much try and take it over, he pretty much names himself after either the show name or the show event or... I think when it comes down to other things, I think he's even doing creator clash boxing. He probably might try and, you know, maneuver his way around that. But still, the dude is a master. I wouldn't say master manipulator. He is a master of all styles, a jack of all trades, I think. But the thing is... I think he's a unique one. He's a unique He's a unique asset. So what, what do you do with him? And to me, in this case, it's, okay, we're going to throw him to the wolves. We're going to see what, how he does. So Johnny Bloodsport might come out surprising a lot of people. Or Johnny Bloodsport puts himself on the line and is mauled by Royce Isaacs. Eh, I mean, come to think of it, what can you say about Royce Isaacs that really isn't already said by those in New Japan? Right, but Royce Isaacs, New Japan trained, right? He's in the LA, he was an LA dojo boy. So... I mean, he does have the accolade, the ability to do it. It's not, you know, if he's if he's somebody who's being trained in that sort of uh, aggressive style, you know, I think it'll be interesting. I'm excited to see it. To me, it's going to be great listening to Lenny Lair, get excited about it, and sit next to him. I'm super stoked for it. Understood. Understood. And, I mean, when it comes down to the other matches on the card, I know that you mentioned the New Japan Showcase between Alex Coughlin and Yuya Uemura, but... When it comes down to that match, do you have at least a betting favorite in that? I know we don't bet in professional wrestling, but still. Uh, Alex Coughlin lives 10 minutes from my house. I'm voting Alex Coughlin. <laughs> he, and I, he and I have driven the shows together. He is somebody I'm friendly with. Uh, I'm going to vote on him. Uh, that is not to say he's going to have an easy night, but the man is a monster and can literally throw a Buick, so therefore I'm going to let him have it. <laughs> I mean, have you seen this happen before? <laughs> I've seen him pick things up that make no sense. He's, you know, everyone's seen this, the clip of him going from sitting to a standing suplex, right? Mm-hmm. So I've seen him also deadlift somebody with one arm into a suplex. I've also seen him. Uh, I see his training regimen. Uh, you know, I don't know. You, you just get his hands full with Alex. I see. I see. And I mean, come to think of it, if the Japanese contingency ain't already wild enough about him, I'm pretty sure those here in the States will continue to get wild about the New Yorker. Hell yeah, I hope so. And I mean, come to think of it, I hate to veer off course just a bit, but Kid Riot, I don't know if you've heard of him, he mm-hmm. sent me a couple of questions on the thread. He basically sure. wanted me to ask you, what's your favorite dinosaur and are you in fact Kin to the Muffin Man. Well, my favorite dinosaur. Uh, I'm gonna say Stegosaurus. Now, I don't know why. I think it's just an arbitrary. I've decided I like a Stegosaurus. 
Um, and am I am I kin to the Muffin Man? No. Uh, <laughs> no, I don't believe I am. <laughs> I think that Kid Riot needs to talk to somebody because that seems like a weird question to ask. He might be having a stroke. Hmm. Yeah, you probably might want to check on him. Or he probably might want to check on himself, but, you know... Yeah, if he, if he smells burnt toast, he's got to call a doctor. That's all he needs to know. Right, right, of course. But come to think of it, veering to comedy now, when it comes down to the world of telling jokes, do you think that things have gotten a little bit more crazier since the Will Smith Chris Rock slap? Or do you think that things are just getting a little too chaotic even just to get out on stage and talk about no i think that comedy clubs everyone kind of concerns themselves with comedy clubs like what happens in them and 99.99999 percent of the time a comedy show is not boring but like it's nothing wild happens up you have fun shut fun times you hear jokes you laugh you move on there's not a whole lot of like drama that takes place. Every now and then, someone says something that's like questionable or is uh, we'll use the term cancelable. But really, that's not the case. The majority of the time, funny wins out. If you're funny, you're funny, and that's kind of it, right? Um, so has the Will Smith situation changed? No, it's inconsequential in the art of stand-up comedy. It is a moment in time where Chris Rock said something that pissed off Will Smith's wife, and Will Smith got defended his woman. I don't agree with it. I think at the end of the day, it was kind of a stupid thing to do. Uh, but how that would bear on my show at the comedy store with Dolph Ziggler and uh, the Hollywood hunk uh, that same day as Bloodsport, it's not. It's going to be a show, and it's going to have nothing to do with either one. And I mean, come to think of it, when it comes down to the Nemeth brothers, a.k.a. Dolph Ziggler and Ryan Nemeth, when it comes down to situations like the Will Smith Chris Rock situation, do you think that if a situation like that were to happen around them, that they would be equally prepared? Yeah, they're both two collegiate trained amateur wrestlers and multi-year professional wrestlers, so I feel like there would not be much of a struggle in that instance. But I would also say that the threat of that happening is so minimal that I don't think any of us are at all concerned. Understood, understood. That, that, that sounds cocky as shit, too. Just for reference. <laughs> I was like, no one's coming out of this. But, I mean, honestly, like, it's not really a thing. Like, it's, I don't know. It, it's one of those things I think that people have made, believe in their head to be way worse than it is. Hmm. Understood. And now, veering right back to Bloodsport, as I also have the full card put up on my end. But when it comes down to these matches, and obviously one of those matches, Yuya Uemura versus an unknown opponent, that's waiting to be determined. <clears throat> but when it comes down to the blood sport format, I mean, let's just say you're commentating now, you're liking what you're seeing, do you think that you would ever want to compete in something like blood sport? Absolutely. I would love to, because I like the concept of it. And to me, the... Um, it, I think it's one of those things where uh, people think that creativity is this wide range of things. And I would argue that creativity only exists if you give it boundaries. I can think of anything. I can say I'm going to have a match with a dinosaur if I want to, if I have no boundaries. But now dinosaurs don't exist, so you have to remove that. So now I'm starting to focus my argument. So for someone like me, you give me a match where there's four posts, no ropes, 
and I have to have a full-on competitive wrestling match, I'm gonna, I'll make the best of it. I'll find a way. I will be as good as I can humanly be, and I think it's a fun test of your skills as a pro wrestler. I mean, kind of think of it. You can also say, for example, with Josh Barnett also dabbling in Japan, he does a lot of stuff with this promotion called Gunnery Ujima. Pretty sure that you would probably want to have something similar to what he's done wrestling and like moat fighting. Yeah, I would love to. I'd love to try my hand at a number of different things. My my point is more: Would fans give a rat's ass if Dan Barry was in Bloodsport? I'd argue no. Um, but that doesn't mean I don't want to do it. I would love to do it, and I would love an opportunity to do it. But from my perspective, the biggest thing I want to do, which I try wanted to do last year, and I ended up not being able to do it, was to um, do commentary of Bloodsport, and that's mm-hmm. important to me. I was actually supposed to do it. To be fair, I was supposed to do it the year before, also, and then I was unable to attend, so I had to ch- cancel my booking. But um, was I'm looking forward to this year. Uh... Was it because of the outset of the pandemic or something? So 2021, no. 2021, um, uh, my grandfather passed away. So he oh. passed away when I was unable to attend. Uh, 2022, it just didn't work out schedule-wise. And now this year, finally, I get to do it. So I'm really excited. Understood. Understood. And, I mean, when you look down at these, I mean, again, I basically say, looking down at all these matches, Josh Barnett versus Timothy Thatcher. Killer Kelly versus Marina Shafir. Yuya Uemura versus an unknown opponent. Davey Boy Smith versus J.R. Kratos. Eric Hammer with his one match a year versus Calvin Tankman. John Hennigan, a.k.a. Johnny Bloodsport versus Royce Isaacs. John Moxley versus Alex Coughlin. Jeff Cobb, Bad Dude Tito, and Colt Ibushi versus Mike Bailey. I mean, let's just say, if this car weren't in front of the Ukrainian Culture Center... Do you think that it would probably be a big time fight card anywhere in the world? Without I mean, it, the blood it is a rules? big time fight card, though. Putting in the Ukrainian Cultural Center is because that's where GCW runs. But mm-hmm. this is a big card anywhere in the world, and um, and for on Fight TV you can watch it live mm-hmm. while it's happening. You know, and you'll have myself and Lionel Leonard commentary. You'll have some of the best pure wrestlers in the sport right now uh, having a match at Bloodsport. It's going to be a wild day of action, and I, I, I can't I can't, underestimate, I can't overstate how much I'm ex- how excited I am to be a part of it. <laughs> Understood. Understood. And I mean, we're getting closer to the end of the interview. I just want to basically say, you know, how can people contact you? What's the best way that people can get in touch with you, whether they want wrestling tips or whether they want to laugh their ass off, so to speak? You follow me on Twitter and Instagram, the Dan Barry. At Bloodsport, I'll be doing comedy at the Comedy Store WrestleMania weekend with uh, Dolph and his brother, uh, Hollywood Hunk. And then uh, I'll be at a secret show uh, featuring uh, 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 Early Morning Guy Steel. So you can go ahead and look that up, too. Uh, but... If you need me, that's where I'll be. And if I'm not at any of those places, I am likely drunk at either Disneyland or Universal Studios Hollywood. So <laughs> I'm pretty sure a lot of wrestlers will be wanting to follow you around at Walt Disneyland or Universal Studios Hollywood. They probably might want to do the same thing. I hope so, because it's going to be fun. I mean, come to think of it, it's Hollywood. It's supposed to be fun. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's the point. You just go and you have a blast. And that's what I'm looking to do. I'm going to have fun. I'm going to enjoy my week. And I mean, come to think of it, I always ask this when it comes down to those that I interview. You know, what would probably be your plan B if you didn't have professional wrestling or comedy? But in your case, I mean, let's just say, would you consider professional wrestling more so your life or comedy more so your life? Um, I, they're both my life. It's to say that I have to pick one isn't how I think of it. Uh, wrestling, I'm, I just turned 40. So wrestling is obviously not going to be, um, the thing that I do every single, uh, day of my life. This is not possible in my case. Uh, so I'm looking forward to, um, really just enjoying the my remainder of my wrestling career and finding out what happens afterwards. That's, that's kind of it. That's what I'm looking forward to the most. Understood. And one more question. When it comes down to the collective, I know that you and Lenny Leonard are going to be commentating a small part of it. But what can fans hope to expect for the three days, March 29th to April the 1st? What can fans hope to expect for the three days of the collective? Well, the collective, again, you have a lot of really cool... Um, moments like for the culture is going to be there and then you have a uh, joey janelle spring break obviously and effie's big gay brunch there's a lot of a lot of really cool moments taking place uh wrestlemania weekend the collective give them a watch and if you if you can support wrestlecon uh wrestlecon shows the, the super shows follow everything you can watch wrestlemania enjoy yourself wrestling is meant to be enjoyed more than critique critique if you want to critique it go ahead but you should also every now and then just put down the notes and pick up popcorn and enjoy the show. <laughs> Even if people are just there to bash it, they should just enjoy the show? This, if you're there just to bash something, then you should be somewhere else. That's my opinion. Why waste your time? Enjoy your life. Go do something fun. If you don't like what you're doing, then don't do it. Life is not about finding things that make you miserable. It's about enjoying the things that make you happy. <laughs> exactly. And I'm pretty sure that this Bloodsport card and the entire collective card, which is going to be available on Fight TV Plus, is going to make a whole hell of a lot of people happy. Sure hope so, because if not, it's not my fault I didn't do it. <laughs> I mean, if you want to blame somebody, don't blame Nick Gage because he'll cut you with a razor blade. He will beat you up and hit you with a pizza cutter. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Hey, no problem, Dan. This was fun. I hope that we can talk more often. <laughs> I mean, Absolutely, man. Have, and and have come to think one. of it, I hope I can get a chance to talk to Lenny Leonard as well. Well, you got to ask him directly. I don't handle his bookings. <laughs> okay, no, but other than that, Dan, it's been fun. I'll talk to you later, though. Fingers crossed. I'll talk to you later. No problem. Bye-bye. Well, that just about does it for this episode, but I want to mention a few things that's going to happen regarding Bloodsport 9 on March 30th. Because of the ousting and retirement of a certain American wolf, if you know, you know, John Moxley will now be facing off against Alex Coughlin. Because of this, Yuya Uemura, Coughlin's original opponent, will try to outwit bad dude Tito Escondido and Mr. Athletic Jeff Cobb. Tito's original opponent will face off against Scottish star Calder McCall. These matches will be a part of a stacked blood sport card that'll kick off a stacked collective weekend. Plus, on that card, Shudo and catch wrestling legend Eric Paulson will receive a lifetime achievement award from Chavo Guerrero Jr. 
All of this will go down from the collective at the Ukrainian Cultural Center in Los Angeles, California. And with the events being exclusively shown on Fight TV Plus, all of the collective can be shown via your monthly or yearly subscription package a la carte. Just go to fight.tv for more information or download the Fight TV app from your iOS or Android enabled device and fight like you mean it. I am not a paid spokesperson. Fight TV is the property of Flips Media Incorporated and Triller Incorporated, a division of Proxima Media, LLC. Copyright 2023, Flips Media Incorporated, Union Down New York, and Sophia Bulgaria, all rights reserved. A couple more quick plugs before I call it in. First of all, if you want to check out what we at Focus Fights have to offer, our link tree URL is in the description of this podcast. We also have a new design thanks to founding member Michael Frazier, a.k.a. Framus, F-A-R-Y-M-O-U-S. He plans to do more to help this brand grow, so as long as I can... You know, put a little more effort into things. Also, when we're not doing this podcast, we're going to be keyed into putting more of our interviews up on YouTube under the Focus Fights Audio Presents banner. I'll have a couple of interviews with folks from Kombaja Global and Booker T's Reality of Wrestling that'll be uploaded soon. And I have an interview with a top Brazilian MMA prospect on there right now. So be sure to stay subbed into our future projects. We got a lot more coming for you, you dig? But that's going to do it from me. For now, I have been the Showmeister Chris Gary saying peace my peoples. One love world. Protect yourself at all times. Keep fighting because you'll never know who might be inspired by your battle. And one more thing. In the case of those trying to cast doubt among others. And y'all know who I'm talking about. I don't want to mention y'all for fear out of me being retaliated against. But still though. It doesn't matter how long you've been in this medium, that is the media, who you work for, what teams or personalities you cover on a daily basis. The best thing that everyone should do, show respect towards one another. You know, don't go out of your way to call anybody a fraud, mock their previous life or previous service to this country or to this world, or block people from the main entity's feed when they don't share your point of view, knowing that the parent company is always full of boo-boo anyways. And you know what I'm talking about. But still, though, just be mindful and respectful of those who just happen to enjoy and give life to the same damn things you enjoy talking about on a semi-regular to regular basis. You know, just be adults. Don't act like horses' asses, so to speak. Because otherwise, believe it or not, someone just might tell you to... Shut your bum ass up, man! before doing something that'll make you pick a new thing to cover. And I'll leave it at that. Argo, I'm out this mug. While I may not be doing this on the regular, I hope I can do this sooner rather than later. And like Larry and Stafford says, I'll holla. Till next time. Deuces.
Listen. Uh.